Welcome to Strong Meat for Strong Believers. I'm Pastor Doug Johnson. I want to invite you to join me as we look at the issues facing us today and what God's Word says about them. Hebrews 5, 13 and 14 says, Milk is for babies, but strong meat is for grown-ups who can discern the difference between good and evil. At the end of the broadcast, I'll tell you how you can get a copy of this message for yourself. And now, grab your Bible and get ready for another helping of Strong Meat for Strong Believers. Well, we are continuing our study in the book of Revelation, and tonight we're going to cover chapters 5 and 6. Let's open our Bibles together there. Let me uh, just real quickly just kind of recap a little bit of what we talked about in chapter 4 uh, last time. In chapter 4, John is called up into heaven, and uh, some folks say that represents the rapture of the church there in verse 1, but when he's called up to heaven, now he's not physically called up, he didn't have his own personal rapture, he was called up in a vision, and he was taken to heaven, and he sees a glimpse of God on his throne, and what a vision that was in chapter 4. If you missed that, you can go back and read chapter 4, I mean, it is just a, it's one of the most beautiful glimpses of heaven, and especially God on his throne uh, that you'll ever read in scripture, and so chapter 5 begins as John is standing before the throne of God in heaven. And that's where we're going to pick up with the sermon series tonight in Revelation chapter 5, beginning with verse 1, as John is still there looking at the throne and seeing things in heaven. He says in Revelation 5 verse 1, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven, nor in the earth, nor under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. Now, we'll stop right there just for a moment. And so John sees God on his throne, and he sees him holding a book that is sealed with seven seals. Now, the Greek word for book there in that text is biblion, which means a scroll. So God is holding a scroll that is sealed with seven seals. Now, what is that scroll, and who will open it? Now, in John's day, most papyrus scrolls were written on one side, and sealed with one seal. But this one had writing on both sides, the front and the back, and was sealed with seven seals, which tells us there is something peculiar about this scroll as opposed to normal scrolls of John's day. Now, some say that it is the same scroll that Ezekiel saw in his vision in Ezekiel chapter 2, and it's the same one that Daniel saw in Daniel chapter 12. But if you will read those, it actually, that one actually shows up later on in Revelation 10. So it's not the same scroll. This one we're talking about in Revelation 5 is a different one. And we'll get, when we get to Revelation 10, we'll talk a little bit more about Ezekiel and Daniel and what they saw. So we'll get to that later on. But this one is, is different because... Uh, this one here, as we're going to read and we're going to find out in chapter 6, when something happens every time a seal is open on this scroll. Now, in trying to identify what this scroll is, 
Some Bible scholars say that in Jewish culture, a scroll written on both sides and sealed with seven seals could be a title deed for property. Now, the way that would happen is, at first, a title deed would be written on one side with one seal. But if the owner went into default on the debt, he would give up the deed, and on the back would be written the price to redeem the property. It is then sealed with multiple seals which cannot be opened until the debt is paid in full. Now, let me take you back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. When God created Adam and Eve, and he said in verse 26, God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over all the earth. Now, when God created man, he gave Adam and Eve dominion over the whole earth. So they had rulership. They, they had a right to claim that dominion over the earth. God gave it to them. But when Adam and Eve sinned, they lost that title deed, if you will. They lost that dominion over the earth. Now remember when Satan, the prince of the world, tempted Jesus. You can read it in Luke chapter 4. Listen to what the devil said to Jesus in one of those temptations. Luke chapter 4, verses 5 through 7. And the devil, taking Jesus up into a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, listen, all this power will I give you and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me. And to whomsoever I will, I give it. If therefore you will worship me, and all shall be thine. So at that time, Satan had authority over the world. He said that. Now, of course, the devil is a liar, but we know that God gave dominion to man, and then when man sinned, he lost that domain, that authority. And so when Jesus came, he came to die so the world would be saved and come back under his authority. So what was the devil doing here? The devil was giving him a shortcut. The devil was trying to give Jesus a shortcut. He was telling Jesus, listen, you, whatever plan you got in place, you don't have to do that. If you'll just fall down and worship me right here, I'll give you the world and everything will come under your authority again. Listen to me. As a child of God, don't ever take the devil's shortcuts. It'll cost you more than you want to pay and it'll leave you longer than you want to stay. And so what did Jesus say in Luke chapter 4 verse 8? Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. My friends, don't ever give in to the devil's shortcuts. Even if it means you lose some friends, even if it means you got to stay away from certain people, listen, it's never worth selling out for because the devil is a liar. You follow God's plan for you. You do it exactly the way God tells you to do it. Don't take any shortcuts. You follow God, and it will be worth it in the end. Hallelujah. And so we see here that very possibly this scroll that is sealed with seven scrolls could be uh, representative of a title deed to the earth. Now, that's just what some Bible scholars say. I'm just going to give it out to you, and whatever you believe on that is okay. Amen? But let's go back to Revelation 6. It tells us that a strong angel asks, who is worthy to open the scroll? In other words, if this is a spiritual title deed to the earth, who is able to redeem the earth? Even this strong angel was unable to open it. 
And so he tries to find someone worthy. He looks in heaven. No one in heaven is able to do it. He looks in the earth. No man in the earth is worthy. He even looks under the earth. No man, and that's the key. No man is found worthy. If you have your Bible, you need to underline that word man. It says no man was found worthy. That's the key word right there. And John wept because no man could open the scroll. And if no one could open the scroll, then the world has no hope. There's no way of redeeming mankind. But then look at verse 5. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. My friends, only one was worthy to open it because that one was willing to pay the price. And it was so high. Jesus Christ can open the scroll. Hallelujah. That's why no man was found to do it because we're not talking about a man. We're talking about the Lamb of God. Hallelujah. We sang about him tonight. He roars like a lion and he bled like a lamb. Hallelujah. My friend, there is no one like our Jesus. Now, in the book of Ruth, you'll see a picture of Jesus redeeming us back. Because in the book of Ruth, it tells us that Boaz was a kinsman redeemer. A kinsman redeemer was one who was related by blood to those he redeems. The responsibilities of the kinsman redeemer included redeeming family property that had changed ownership. Now, according to Jewish law and custom, Elimelech had lost his property when he died. The property could be redeemed by a kinsman of the former owner. Boaz was kin to Elimelech. And since Naomi was Elimelech's widow and she was childless, Naomi had a claim to Boaz. That old woman had a claim on Boaz. But as the story goes, Naomi transferred her claim down to her daughter-in-law, Ruth. And so Ruth is sent to Boaz and by the symbolic act of lying at his feet reminded him of the duty that he owed to Elimelech's family. And so in the story, Boaz was a symbol of Jesus who is our kinsman redeemer by blood through the incarnation and our covenant with him is a new and an everlasting covenant. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. Hallelujah. And Jesus has overcome the world. He said in John chapter 16 verse 33, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus overcame it all. And that's why no man could open the scroll. Oh, but the lion of the tribe of Judah can. Hallelujah. But John did not see a lion. What was it that he saw? He saw a lamb. A lamb as it had been slain. I want to remind you 
that when Abraham took Isaac up on the altar to sacrifice him, that it was a ram caught in the thicket that saved Isaac from the altar. That it was a lamb that saved the firstborn of Israel in Egypt at Passover. That the prophet Isaiah said our Savior was led like a lamb to the slaughter. All of those Old Testament points pointed to Jesus who is the Lamb of God. Hallelujah. And John saw the lamb as it had been slain. Hallelujah. You know, Jesus still bears the marks in his hands and his feet in heaven. Now, he didn't have to do that because he's got a glorified body. But I believe he had them there because, my friend, as he, as he showed the disciples, his, after he had his glorified, resurrected body, he showed the disciples because they didn't look like himself. And so the only way they could realize it was him. In fact, like he told Thomas, he said, look here, Thomas, put your hand, put your finger in the nail prints of my hand. Thrust your hand in, my, in the hole in my side. And that's when Thomas believed. My friend, he, John saw the same thing. He saw a lamb as it had been slain. Hallelujah. And that is Jesus. Jesus. Now John said this lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the earth. Now I've seen a lot of pictures of Jesus. I've seen a lot of paintings of Jesus, but I have never seen a picture of Jesus like this. Have you? You ever seen Jesus with seven eyes? You ever seen Jesus with seven horns on his head? But that's the way John saw Jesus. He saw him as a lamb with seven horns and seven eyes. Now, what does this mean? Now, again, I believe this is symbolic because it points to us. It gives us a clue to the identification of who this lamb is. Now, remember, seven is God's number. It is a number of completeness or fullness. And horns represents power. And so he has seven horns, which means he is all-powerful, omnipotent. He has seven eyes, which means he is all-seeing, that is, omniscient, all-knowing. He has seven spirits, that means he is omnipresent in the earth. He is all-present everywhere, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. There's only one person I know of that fits that description, and his name is Jesus. Hallelujah. Jesus has prevailed to open the scroll. Hallelujah. And what happens next is one of the most intense and awesome scenes in the entire Bible. As all of heaven breaks into glorious worship of the Lamb. Now I'm going to read this. I'm going to read the rest of this chapter out, okay? I'm just going to read it like it is. And as we read the rest of this chapter, you might feel the urge to go ahead and praise him. And if you do, you go right on ahead. Because that's exactly what the people in heaven did. Look at verse 8. And when he had taken the book... The four beasts and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, 
Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him that lives forever and ever. Can we give God a praise right now? Because he is worthy. Hallelujah. Oh, my goodness. If that don't make you shout, your wood's wet. Hallelujah. I'm talking about the one who was dead and was risen again. Hallelujah. My friend, when they see the Lamb, the Redeemer, the Savior, they break out into music and singing that would blow away any earthly concert. My friend, when we get there and we see this, we're going to hear a song like we ain't never heard before. Hallelujah. And we're going to join them. Glory to God. We better get practicing now. Hallelujah. Nowadays, we only sing if they sing our favorite song. Let me tell you something. You've got a reason to sing whether they sing your favorite song or not. He's worthy. Hallelujah. All of heaven, get, did you notice this? All of heaven and all of earth and under the earth. Everything joined together and declared the glory of the Lamb. Why? Because he's the only one worthy of it all. Hallelujah. No wonder the Bible says every knee is going to bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Hallelujah. Everything in heaven and earth and even under the earth. And it's said in the sea. and I mean, every creature, everything is going to praise God. Hallelujah. And then there was something else in there. I don't know if you caught it or not. But it said that they, were, they had golden vials of incense that represented the prayers of God's people. And they were using those golden vials, hallelujah, in their worship in their singing, they were giving them up to God. Hallelujah. That's your prayers. That's the prayers of the saints. Let me ask you something. What does your prayer life smell like? Is it sweet or does it stink? <laughs> well, Pastor Doug, I never thought about it before. Well, you need to. Because your prayers are kept in heaven. Hallelujah. God longs for his people to pray and seek his face. So what is a stink in the nostrils of God? Well, I think that's when we pray for selfish things. When we get selfish and, and only think about ourselves instead of think about other people. When we pray those selfish, I think that stinks to God. I think we need to pray like Jesus showed us how. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We need to pray. Ask God to tell you what he wants you to do for him, then do it. I think it's a kind of prayer that smells good to God. I believe that when we pray for one another and bear one another's burdens, that smells good to God. I believe that when we prefer our brother over ourselves, I believe that smells good to God. When we pray for his will to be done and seek his face, that smells good to God. That's the kind of prayers we need to pray. And when we pray in faith believing, oh, that smells good to God. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. So when you pray, have faith. Believe that he is and he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Hallelujah. 
Oh, my goodness, what a glimpse of heaven and what a glimpse of Jesus. My, 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 you might want to read that chapter again sometime. Hallelujah. My goodness, that's what we've got to look forward to. Hallelujah. Now, let's go on to Revelation 6. Chapter 6 begins the tribulation period, which is the last seven years of the earth as we know it. The word tribulation means trouble or trial. And the tribulation period is God's judgment on the world for the sins of mankind and when the Antichrist sets himself up as God on the earth. During this time, evil is unrestrained. God brings justice and there's one last chance to accept the gospel. And we'll see all of this as we go through this study. Now before we get into Revelation 6, I want us to turn over to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. In Daniel chapter 9, God gives Daniel another vision of the end times. Daniel chapter 9, and we're going to begin reading with verse 21. And in this, the angel gives a vision to Daniel, and he gives him a timeline. And that's what he's going to explain here. And then after we read it, I'll come back and explain what he's meaning here. So Daniel chapter 9, verse 21. Daniel says, Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplications... The commandment came forth, and I I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. And after sixty-two weeks shall Messiah be cut off but not for himself. And the people of the Prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end thereof shall be with the flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. All right? Now in this vision that, that God gives him, He'd had the vision already, and he'd been praying and seeking God for the interpretation. And now Gabriel comes and gives him the interpretation of it. Daniel sees two things in one vision. He sees a timeline leading up to Jesus' first coming, and also a timeline leading up to the Antichrist's coming. Now, Gabriel's description of the vision in verse 24, he said, Seventy weeks are determined upon your people to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins. Now, the Hebrew word for week in this text is shalbua, and it doesn't mean seven days like we know it. For us, one week is seven days. In this prophecy, in this vision, one week actually refers to seven years. 
So you need to understand that when you're reading Daniel chapter 9. So in this prophecy, in this vision, one week equals seven years. Can we say that together? One week, seven years. Say it again. One week, seven years. All right, so you got that. Now, so when you see the word week in this prophecy, replace it in your mind with seven years. Now, in other words, the angel told Daniel in verse 24, 70 weeks. Now, that's 70 seven-year periods, okay? 70 seven-year periods are determined upon your people. That means if you multiply 70 times seven years, you get 490 years. Are you with me so far? 490 years have been prophesied, determined upon your people, is what the angel says. Now, the angel told Daniel, the events of the timeline will bring about the end of the Jews' apostasy, bring about everlasting righteousness, judgment of sin, and the death of the Christ on the cross. Now, he tells Daniel in verse 25, the timeline begins... From the command to rebuild Jerusalem, he said there'll be seven weeks. Now remember, a week is seven years. So if it's seven weeks, seven times seven years is 49 years, okay? So there's 49 years there, and he says until the coming of the Messiah is 62 weeks. So 62 times seven years is 434 years. Now if you take those two numbers, put them together... 49 years and 434 years, you get 483 years together. From the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem all the way up until the time of the Messiah, 483 years. Now, according to this prophecy, that is 69 of the 70 weeks that have been prophesied for the God's people. So that means where we are right now, 69 of the 70 weeks have been fulfilled because 69 of those 70 weeks prophesied led up to Jesus' death on the cross and also included the destruction of the temple. And then what happened was at the end of that 69th week, God hit the pause button, and that's where we are today. God hit the pause button on this prophecy, and that pause is the church age where we are today. But as soon as the church is raptured, the clock starts, starts back again and starts ticking again. And that is when the final week, remember one week is seven years. That's when the final seven-year period will take place. And how long is the tribulation? Seven years. So the final week, that 70th week, is what the angel is referring to. And this is what we're reading about in Revelation. Now, one of the reasons for the tribulation period is to bring the Jews back to God. God made a covenant with Abraham that his descendants would be his people. When God makes a promise, he keeps it. Doesn't matter how bad we are. Doesn't matter if we reject the Messiah. Doesn't matter what people do. When God makes a covenant with somebody, he keeps his word. God has not changed his mind on the Jewish people, even though they rejected the Messiah and they crucified him. You see, they, these Jews are still looking for the Messiah to come, but God is still going to bring the Jews back to him. And during the tribulation period, Israel will have the gospel preached to them. There's going to be 144,000 Jews that are sealed by God that cannot be hurt by the Antichrist. And those 144,000 Jews are going to be sent forth to preach the gospel, and many of Jews will believe the gospel and be saved. Hallelujah. So one of the reasons for the tribulation period is for the Jews to come back to God. Now, in verse 27 of Daniel 9, 
He talks about the Antichrist. He says, the, he says in verse 27, he will confirm the covenant with many for one week. Remember, one week equals seven years. Now, in verse 27, he's talking about the Antichrist. The Antichrist is going to make a peace treaty with Israel for seven years, for one week, according to this. And he says, in the, see, he will cause, see, and in the middle of the week, that means three and a half years into the tribulation, he is going to break his promise to the Jews. In other words, he is going to stand in Christ, is going to stop the Jews' sacrifice. He's going to claim to be God. He's going to set himself up in the temple to be worshipped. And he will be indwelt by Satan with a false prophet to do miracles. Now this false prophet, and you'll, we'll get into this later on, but the false prophet will be able to call fire down from heaven. He's going to build a statue. He's going to give that statue life, and the statue is going to speak. In fact, if you re- when we get into it, you'll see that it's actually the statue that speaks that tells the people to take the mark of the beast. So he's going to be doing these miracles, and when people see these miracles taking place, these false miracles, they're going to be convinced that they have to do what they're being told to do. And we'll get more detail later on in the study, okay? That's, that's several weeks down the road, but I just want to get wet your appetite a little bit because that's what verse 27 is talking about. He's talking about the abominations that make desolate. In fact, Jesus referred to Daniel's vision in Matthew 24, verse 15. Jesus said, When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Now this is when the Antichrist will stand in the Holy of Holies and desecrate the temple. So the temple is going to be rebuilt in Jerusalem. It's not built yet, but it's going to be. And with modern technology the way it is now, they tell us that they could actually rebuild the temple in about 18 months with our technology and the equipment that we have today. It can be built fairly quickly. And so, my friend, that's all the more reason to look up. Jesus could come back at any time. Hallelujah. And everything will just fall right into place. But what happens is when the Antichrist goes in the Holy of Holies and desecrates the temple, that's when the Jewish people will realize he is not our Messiah. Our Messiah would not do that to the temple, and they will turn away from him, and they'll turn to Christ. Hallelujah. And so that's one of the reasons for the tribulation period. So I want to share that with you from Daniel chapter 9. So what we're about to read here in Revelation 6 is the beginning of that seven-year period or that last week of the prophecy of Daniel 9. So Revelation 6. In Revelation 6, the seven seals represent seven sealed judgments of God's wrath that will be poured out upon the earth when they are opened. It will take place in the first 21 months of the tribulation period. So what we're about to read in chapter 6 spans about 21 months of the tribulation period. The Lamb, Jesus Christ, opens the seals of the book, and each seal brings a judgment from God upon the sinful men and women on the earth. Now, the first four seals unleash what some people call the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Each horseman brings a worse judgment than the one before it. So let's begin reading with verse 1 of chapter 6. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. 
Now, when you first read that, he's riding a white horse. He's got a crown on his head. He's going forth conquering. That sounds a little bit like Jesus, don't it? But you've got to be careful because many Bible scholars believe this first horseman is actually the Antichrist because he has no arrows for his bow. Did you notice that? He has a bow, but he has no arrows. And we know it's not Jesus because Jesus is the one who opened the seal, right? He's in heaven opening the seal. So this horseman is definitely not Jesus. But this horseman, he rides a white horse. He's got a crown, which means he has authority. And he has a bow, but he has no arrows. What that means is this. The Antichrist, as I just told you a while ago, he's going to use peace to conquer the world at the beginning of the tribulation. Remember I told you he's going to sign a peace treaty with Israel for seven years during that time. And so the world will be in such chaos after the rapture that the world leaders will give their power to the one person who seems to have the answer to their problems, and that is the Antichrist. And he's going to look like Jesus. He's going to try to come across like the Messiah, and a lot of people are going to believe him. That's why, friend, you don't want to be left behind because there's going to be such a spirit of deception that is unleashed on this world. People are going to believe Anything. I mean, look, at, look, it's happening in the world now. People are just believing whatever the media tells them. They believe whatever they see on Facebook, whether it's true or not. People are starting to fall for lies now, and it's going to be even worse during this time. Now, the Bible tells us in 2 Thessalonians 2.9, talking about the Antichrist, Paul says, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. The things the Antichrist will do will all be lying wonders, not real miracles. The Antichrist will be a charismatic leader, and he will use the promise of peace to conquer during the first part of the tribulation. Paul also says in 1 Thessalonians 5.3, For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. My friend, mankind will never be able to achieve true world peace until Jesus sets it up himself. And that's why they can sign all the peace treaties in the world they want to. It's never going to happen until Jesus comes. Hallelujah. So the first seal, we see the horseman of conquest. Verse 3, when he opened the, when he opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. So the second seal is opened, and the horseman of war is unleashed. When the second seal is opened, many Bible scholars believe this is when World War III breaks out on the earth. Men and women will turn against each other and will kill one another. Nations will attack each other. Leaders will turn on one another. It will be utter chaos as peace is taken from the world. Again, we don't know the exact time frame, how far these seals are spaced apart. We don't know how, so how close they are, how far apart they are. All we know is this chapter 6 uh, is about the first 21 months of the tribulation period. All right, Look at verse 5. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse, and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four weeks, or the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. And see, thou hurt not the oil and the wine. 
All right, now the third seal opens, and that brings the horsemen of famine. The horsemen of famine. You know, I've heard people say today, if God is real, why are there so many starving people in the world today? And maybe that thought's even crossed your mind. Well, I recently read something that I honestly couldn't believe when I first found it. I'm going to share it with you. Maybe you'll have a hard time finding it, believing it as well, but I did some research, and it's absolutely true, and this is what I found. Most famines in the world are caused not by environmental problems, but by politics. I couldn't believe that when I found that. Political issues, government policies, and civil wars leads to many famines in the land. And so those who say, how could you say God is real with so many starving people in the world? Let me tell you something. It is not God's fault. If you want to help starving people, get your leaders and your representatives to get together and work together and do something about it. That'll take care of a lot of the starving people in this world. Man has the power to do more than what you think they do. You know, we're not waiting on God to do something. God's waiting on us to do something about it. If you don't like what's happening in the world, get up and do something about it. Because you and God are the majority. If God be for you, who can be against you? Stand up and do something. Hallelujah. However, in the tribulation period, it's going to be different. When the horsemen of famine is unleashed, the judgments of God, what they're doing is they're leaving man to his own devices. These people didn't want to serve God. Okay, let's see how well you can get along without him. That's what God's doing. He is sitting back. He's giving the people what they want. They want to do things their own way. And so these judgments, it's exactly what's doing. God is repaying them for what they're doing. When the third seal is opened, a great famine hits the earth. Now notice the angel is very specific about how, uh, about how it affects the, the people of the earth. The penny that's referred to in this text is not the American penny, but the denarius, a Roman silver coin used during John's day. A denarius was one day's wage and could normally buy 10 quarts of wheat or 30 quarts of a barley, that's pretty good for a day's wage. And the daily ration for a soldier in John's day was one quart of wheat. And so that's why the angel said that. But during this famine, food will be so scarce that a day's wage will buy food for one person. And then they'll have to share that with their whole family. Imagine only being able to have a bologna sandwich. And then you having to share that bologna sandwich with your whole family for the day. That's what's going to happen when the horseman of famine is unleashed. Now, rich people will not be affected during this time because they will have plenty of money. That's what it means when it says, hurt not the oil and the wine. So this famine will basically hurt the poor people and the working people of the, of the day at that time. All right, look at verse, verse 7. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death, and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword, and with hunger, and with death, and with the beasts of the earth. So the fourth seal is open, and the horseman of death is unleashed. When the fourth seal is open, death is unleashed on the earth. And did you notice one-fourth of the world's population? Now, this is those left behind after the rapture. 
The church is going to heaven. The bride of Christ is safe in heaven. So these are people left behind after the rapture. One-fourth of the world's population will be killed with either sword, hunger, or wild beast. And I want you to notice something else of verse 8. It says that hell follows this horseman. That means everyone who dies during this time will go straight to hell. No mercy, no grace. Hell follows this horseman and every person, one-fourth of the world's population that dies from this seal will go straight to hell. My friends, I'm telling you, this is why we need to warn people that Jesus is coming soon. This is why we need to make sure that we are ready to go when Jesus comes back because, my friend, you do not want your loved ones to be here or left behind, and you don't want to be left behind during this time. And so the first four seals have been opened, unleashing four devastating horsemen upon the earth. The Antichrist has come to power, promising world peace. However, peace has been taken from the world, and the nations have been plunged into a world war. Terrible famine is spreading throughout the world. One-fourth of the earth's population has died, and the tribulation period is just beginning. Look at verse 9. And when he'd opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. When the fifth seal is open, John hears the cry of the martyrs. And what are they crying for? They want justice. The Christian martyrs want justice. Can I tell you something? Hatred for Christianity is increasing even more now than ever before. More people are dying for Christ today than ever before. They tell us that 65% of Christian martyrs have died just in the last 100 years. 65% of the total number of Christian martyrs has taken place in the last 100 years, and it's increasing. Hatred of Christians is growing, and my friends, it's even happening in America. We need to settle right now. Which side of the word of God are we going to stand on? Which side of Jesus are we going to stand on? You see, Christians, we forgive because God has promised that he will avenge us and he will repay. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 19, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. My friend, I want to tell you tonight, if you're being persecuted, they will stand in judgment before God for what they are doing to you, how they have come against your family. And my friend, we forgive because God said he will repay them. And what we're reading here with this fifth seal, that they are crying out for justice. It's okay to cry out, Lord, when will you avenge us? We've forgiven them. We're trusting you. But Lord, you said, when will you give us justice? Because when you read through the book of Psalms, David says it all the time. Lord, repay my enemies. Turn back on his head what he did to me. It's okay to pray that way. You forgive them, but you say, now, Lord, you said you would bring justice to us. How long will it take? That's what they're doing here. 
And my friend, you're not turning them loose. You're turning them over to God is what you're doing. And God will repay. Hallelujah. Now you think about this. Think of the 63 million babies that have been aborted over the years. They're part of that group that's crying out for vengeance right there. Think of all the innocent people that have been murdered by criminals over the years. They're part of that group. Think of all the Christians that have been martyred for their faith. They're part of that group. And they're calling, saying, Lord, how long until you avenge us? God is going to have his vengeance upon them. In fact, you can read it in Revelation 16. I'll give you the hint. Revelation 16, 6, God says, For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. It happens. It's going to happen. My friend, God will have his vengeance on those who have come against you. That's why you keep your faith in God. You forgive them, and you follow God no matter what they do. God will repay them. He will. Look at verse 12. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth, even as a fig tree casts her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? The sixth seal is opened, and a great earthquake happens. The biggest earthquake that has ever hit the world. Now, some people read this and say that this is nuclear war and that John is describing it the best way he knows how. Now, some people say that's how they interpret this. But the way I see it is this. Nuclear war does not call stars to fall from outer space. Nuclear war is here on the earth. So, you know, we have earthquakes all the time, but have you ever seen a heaven quake? That's what happens when this sixth seal is open. Not only is it an earthquake, but it is also a heaven quake because it says the stars of heaven fall to the earth as a fig tree casts her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind and the heaven parts like a scroll. My friend, it doesn't just affect earth, it affects heaven. And so we've got meteors falling from the sky, stars falling like when you shake a fig tree and figs are falling everywhere. It's not just going to be one or two, there are going to be showers of them coming down and hitting the earth. And something, notice something else. Notice what the people are fleeing from. It doesn't, it doesn't say they're fleeing from a bomb or a disaster. Notice what they say. Look at what they say. They say, hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne. They're not hiding from a disaster. They're not hiding from a bomb. They're hiding from God Almighty. They're saying the rocks and the, and the mountains fall on us and hide us from him who's sitting on the throne. For the wrath of God is come and who shall be able to stand? Now some people will read this chapter and they'll ask, what happened to the God of love and mercy? Why would he do such terrible things? 
Well, I want you to think about this. It has been over 2,000 years since Jesus died on the cross or around that time. 2,000 years. So for 2,000 years, we have had mercy and grace and love. 2,000 years of mercy and grace and love from God. Compare 2,000 years of grace to seven years of tribulation. God is a merciful God. And not only that, he wrote it in a book so that we could read about it. We could be warned ahead of time. You want to know where the God of mercy is? He's right here. The reason you're reading this, the reason you're listening to this on the internet, the reason you're listening to this CD is because God's having mercy on you right now, telling you, get ready before it happens. That's where the God of love and mercy is. But you see, the people living during the tribulation period have rejected Christ's mercy. And here's what you got to understand. Mercy rejected always brings judgment to follow. And the greater the amount of mercy that is rejected, the greater the amount of judgment that comes afterwards. My friends, when you read the book of Revelation, you see and you're reading what people get when they do what they, they get what they deserve. You see, God always extends mercy first. God gave us the book of Revelation so everyone could know what will happen before it happens. And chapter 6 ends with a question. Who shall be able to stand? Well, chapter 7 answers that question. But that's next time. (laughs) you got to come back next time and find out the answer to that question because there is somebody who can withstand this. Oh, if you can't wait, you can go ahead and read it. Hallelujah. But listen to me. I'm going to close this. In case anyone listening to me tonight in this sanctuary or this CD or on the Internet, in case anyone is thinking about waiting until the tribulation and then getting saved, listen to me. If you refuse to do it now when it's easy, during the age of grace and mercy, you won't do it then when it's hard and your family is starving, and people are dying and going straight to hell. If you can't do it now, you won't do it then. You won't do it. Right now, God's love is still extended to everybody. My friend, don't take any chances on missing the rapture. Heed the warnings, and don't be left behind. This has been Strong Meat for Strong Believers. If this broadcast was a blessing to you, I would love to hear from you. You can email me at revivalfire29 at yahoo.com or call me at 964-5333 and visit Raven Assembly of God's website at ravenag.org and find out more information about our church. This is Pastor Doug Johnson reminding you to keep your head up. God is on your side. And join me next time for more Strong Meat for Strong Believers.